and ride with me in my foul life. The Foul Life Podcast. What's up? Thank you all so much. Today's episode is brought to you by The Provider. The Provider Life. We're talking with Executive Chef at Trapper's Landing, the Merit Bar and Grill, the restaurant. It's amazing. Leech Lake, Minnesota. Reed's Sporting Good. I met this man, Mr. Mark Lindsay, trained at the Culinary Institute of America. He's been an executive chef for 40 years. The food this guy was throwing out from his duck to his elk, from his rib caps to his wagyu to his fried walleye. I was just sitting there licking my lips going, dang it. This stuff's amazing. So I had to get him on the show and it's turning into more. We're going to be doing a lot of videos. He's going to be in duck and goose camp with us. He's going to be on the, we're probably going to do, try to do a once a week episode through duck season and goose season, all of waterfowl season, all the way, probably through spring snow goose and Turkey of spring of 2023. We're going to have Mark on once a week. We're hoping to throw down some out of the box, unorthodox approaches to cooking wild game, domestic meats, vegetables, garden vegetables, knowing where our food came from. It's it's the Foul Life Podcast. It's brought to you by The Provider, theproviderlife.com, our new cookbook, The Provider Cookbook. All 10 of our dry rubs are available right now on theproviderlife.com, and we're getting ready to launch two brand new rubs for domestic beef and domestic chickens. We have been testing them for the last six months, and we are falling in love with them more and more on a daily basis. We will be releasing those to the public in the next couple months. They'll probably be available by Thanksgiving and going into the Christmas holiday, the greatest time of the year. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Lear. You've heard us talk about our Lear lockers inside of our Lear caps, our, our camper shells. They're on every single one of our rigs here at the Foul Life and the Provider. Thank you, Lear, for providing us safety and security as we travel America's highways, byways, dirt roads, back roads, chasing the migration, chasing predators chasing ducks chasing deer chasing turkeys it doesn't matter what we're after lear keeps all of our gear dry it keeps it safe it keeps it secured it keeps it organized get your lear l-e-e-r we are truly humbled and honored to be part of the lear family today's episode of the foul life podcast is also brought to you by bush beer Bush Latte, if you're up in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, the Midwest, the Mississippi Valley, the Mississippi River Flyway. We love what Bush Beer stands for, for the culture, how they support country music, how they support America's great outdoors, hunting and fishing. Grab yourself a cold Bush Beer. Remember, enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Meat. How can we do a cooking episode if we don't talk about meat meet your maker i mean made by meat their their grinders their vacuum sealers their mixers their tumblers their knives their saws everything they're doing meet your maker is an amazing brand and they are making processing and butchering your wild game that much easier so thank you to meet for being the official grinder of the foul life tv the foul life podcast you'll see them all over episodes as we grind our snow geese our canada geese Whatever you want, deer, hind ends of a, a of a brisket or whatever you're trying to get rid of in your stew meat with your big game, you can grind it down, add some fat to it. We use duck fat. We use pork fat. We use all kinds of different fat to make unbelievable meals with our meat, meat your maker grinder. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by the one and only Jack Links. We love protein snacks. We love having it in our blind bags, in our tackle boxes, on our boats, in our blinds. 
It doesn't matter if it's the new cold craft or all of their original offerings, their strips, their sticks, their pepperonis, their slab jerkies, the flavors, the attention to detail and the quality is what Jack Links is all about. And every single bite is unbelievable. Thank you, Jack Links, for being the official protein snack of the Foul Life TV and the Foul Life Podcast. And last but not least, today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by the one and only Arkansas-based Bad Boy Mowers, Lenny, everybody at the company, Mr. Phil, what you have built with Bad Boy Mowers and now Outlaw Snacks and the new Kansas City Outlaws professional bull riders team, the PBR. We are truly honored to be a part of the Bad Boy Mower family. You got grass? You got something to work on? Look at Bad Boy. Look no further. The zero turn, the quality, the again, the attention to detail, the customer service, the innovation, the manufacturing, the engineering, every single thing about these mowers is unbelievable. Thank you to Bad Boy Mowers for being the official zero turn mower of the Foul Life TV and the Foul Life Podcast. I hope you all enjoy this. The Provider Life, the Provider Presents, Executive Chef from Trapper's Landing in the Merritt in Leech Lake, Minnesota, Executive Chef, Mr. Mark Lindsay. This dude is awesome. His recipes are amazing. Look for more of them. Hope you all enjoy. I'm Chad Belding, your host. Thank you all for being here. Have you had a chance to look at the cookbook at all, the provider cookbook, Mr. Mark? Yeah, I've been going through it. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of cookbooks have some game, but you guys got a lot of different game stuff in it, which is great of different stuff. You know what I mean? Into you a like lot of different recipes. You like the layout of it? Is it pretty to you? Yeah. I mean, I'm more, I'm more of the visual guy when I look at a cookbook. You know, I'm really into the pictures and say, oh, that looks great, and I want to do this with it, or I saw something else, I want to make it like that, but use something else. That's more yeah. of me than the physical recipe. Yeah, and that's what we did is we wanted to do is our, our best on all of the photography in there to be to be as top notch to get people kind of not just salvating, but to spark their interest of, Oh, that looks like something that would not be fun to create. It'd be fun, but it's also looks really tasty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it is about visual. When I go when you know, when we send stuff out of the dining room, it's about, you know, what does it look like? Not just that it tastes great. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, when, when you start thinking about that, I, I've been to a lot of pit master competitions and barbecue competitions around the country. I mean, these judges, they won't even consider if the presentation isn't there, the way they lay out their, their, their chicken or their ribs or their, what, if it's pulled pork or if it's brisket, whatever it is, the presentation in judging a meal is everything. It can't just be like, oh, they're blindfolded and they take a taste of it. They're looking for everything once they open that box. So these guys are like walking like mummies down the road with these styrofoam containers, making sure that they don't bounce around that food or anything, right? So presentation right. is key, yeah? Yeah. I spent, you know, uh, when I was in chef school, it was all about when you're laying out like a platter or something like that, is if you made like a galantine or something, you cut it, that all those things are perfectly laid out together and they're always running the same way and it's running down the line, you know what I mean? And they're spaced apart, right? And stuff like that. So it's all about that, how it looks to your eye. When you mentioned chef school, does this mean that you are trained in culinary? Yeah, I'm a graduate from the Culinary Institute of America, which is the top chef school in the country. Uh, graduated back in 1980, so that was a long time ago. So 40 years ago or 40 some odd years ago, but um, at the time it was considered the top chef school in the country. And I think it still is. What would consider, what would be the, the validation for that? Or what would be the checklist to become the top chef school? Meaning that 
the chefs that they have pumped the 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 chefs that they've pumped out they're 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 the people that have graduated from there have went on to develop some of the best restaurants around the world or what 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 dictates the best it's a lot a lot of it is the instructors that they have like my pastry chef was one of the pastry chefs at the white house i mean that's what he had did before or the top restaurants 21 club and all those classes that they have it's a progression of uh, like uh, in the beginning, you're taking like beginning baking and beginning sauce production, but you take the time to do it. And it's not like an hour here, an hour there. Each class is 15 days long. So you may take um, sauce class from uh, seven in the morning till two is your day. And then there's an the evening set of classes. Um, so you're either an AM or PM group, but you are immersed in that class all day and you learn all the basics from the start of you know, what does it mean to make um, chasseur sauce? You remember a lot of those recipes, but you see a lot of different techniques from each chef and the chefs are like, the important thing for you is to take all those different ways you see it done, like hollandaise sauce, and then make it your own, the way that works best for you when you go out in the world. But they have just so much in depth of everything to do with culinary, all like, Oriental class or garde manger or butchery. They do it all. It's very specialized. So I went to college and got a degree and I tell people all the time, well, I use my degree a little bit. The main thing college taught me was how to juggle. Got all these classes. I got baseball practice. I got morning weights. I got my mom and dad aren't there to wake me up and get me out of bed and and be my alarm clock. Mom and dad aren't giving me money every day. I mean, I'm on my own. I learned how I was learning how to live, right? I was learning how Uh to juggle. I was learning how to manage. I was learning how to network. I was learning how to communicate with my professors, with my student body, with my teammates, et cetera, et cetera. I've heard this a lot, Mr. Mark Lindsay, that a lot of people say, yeah, I went to college, but I don't really make a living with my degree. Uh, my question to you is, I've eaten your food. It's extraordinary. But did you need that degree to get to where you're at today? Do you lean on your education this far into your career? And did every, you fight? You do. Okay. Talk to me about that. Every day. So the thing is that I've had a bunch of different jobs. And a lot of times it's a job. <laughs> all of a sudden I realize, hey, I haven't used that part of school till just now like designing a restaurant, let's say, but you had that as part of school. But every day, a lot of people that I work with, I'm training them on how to do things. All my young chefs and young cooks and all that kind of stuff, how do you do it? I teach them the basic way that I learned how to do it. You know, simple things like onions till transparent, garlic to aroma. That's a start of a lot of sauces. Or I've had a couple cooks who didn't know the technique of how to brown meat in order to get the fond, which is the part on the bottom of the pan, and then you deglaze it to get all that flavor off the pan, they just touched a, uh, tossed a bunch of meat in there, and then all of a sudden it was stewing instead of browning because they put too much in. But those are all techniques I learned at school, how to use a knife, how to do all sorts of different things. And a lot of it's like really old school now, like um, cheese carving or um, chauffade, which is uh, the white sauce that you used to see over meats and stuff in buffets. All that stuff's old school, but I still use a lot of that in techniques that I do today. I got to ask, and I don't know if you, <clears throat> I mean, you're a very forthcoming person when I was with you, and I do want to cook with you in your kitchen sometime, but 
teach me real quick about when you said some people are stewing meat instead of browning it. Now I'm worried that I don't know how to brown meat the correct way. So the correct way is not to overload the pan. So what happens is when you're searing uh, some beef, like you're making elk stew, let's say, you want to put the you get the pan hot first, and you put the meat in it, but you leave some space around each piece of meat until it browns, and then you turn that to brown it. You may remove that meat and start with the next section of meat. If you filled the whole pan with meat, all of a sudden it's going to cause steam and liquid. Now you're no longer browning the meat. You're now starting to stew the meat instead of browning it. So the goal is to caramelize all the sides of the beef. Then the bottom of the pan is going to have all that good stuff on the bottom. Then you use wine or water to get all that stuff off the bottom. And that's what you're making your stock with. So and it also sears the outside of the meat. So it's got color, got flavor, caramelization, all that stuff going on. But if you don't do that, then it's just like you boiled the meat. Wow. So is this, when you start to brown meat, are you, is it mainly when you're talking stews or ground, when you're starting a gravy or when you're starting some kind of sauce, um, are there other instances where you brown meat in the culinary world? Yeah. Well, the reverse, like uh, a great steak has always got that caramelization or brown on the outside. So we do our steaks a lot in the sous vide tank. So we'll start them in the tank, which is a tank with, with water in it, but it's sous vide in a bag. So we'll do it like 12 minutes at 135 for medium rare. But then we'll take it out and we'll throw it on a hot grill so it caramelizes the outside of the steak. And that's where you're getting all the flavor. If I had an overhead broiler, it would be my favorite because then it really gets a char on it. And that's where a lot of the flavor comes in, is that outside grilling of what you're doing. Okay, so when we start talking about what I have learned to be the reverse sear, I'm taking a steak. I just did this with Wagyu and some really high-end prime ribeyes, New Yorks, and a couple fillets less than yeah. this this last week. So I'm doing a dry rub on them. After, after, I, after I take them out and I thaw them, because these were not fresh-cut right. steaks, yep. I, I take them out, I thaw them, I get them out, I pat them down, I get them very, very dry, get all the excess blood or water off yep. of them. Um, and then I take them to, I take them to um, the dry rub part of it to where I'm getting the dry rub and I put the, the, the amount that I see fit with my dry rub, which is a low sodium rub with the provider right. rubs that you have behind us. And then I do a little bit of salt, pepper, garlic, whatever. Then I'll put them in the refrigerator and I let them sit. When it's about 30 minutes before go time, I go and I turn my Traeger grill on and I get it on a 225 where I'm going to get a pretty good amount of smoke, but not super smoke because I'm not a huge, huge smoke guy. Right. I take them out. I put them 20 minutes before while I'm starting that grill. I take the steaks out and let them get to room temperature. Now I put them on that smoke, Mr. Mark, and I let them get to about... 99 to 102 somewhere in there internal temp using a probe i'm not a finger touch guy i like to know exactly where i'm at right and then what when it gets close to that i get i i i get my conduction going which is a really high heat 700 degrees metal to metal a little bit of olive oil and I take that steak off of the smoke and I reverse sear it for about two and a half minutes on first side and then about a minute on the next. And I get that really good bark and char on it. Yeah. I let it sit for 15 minutes, maybe 12 minutes, 
slice it against the grain about 132 internal temp at medium rare does this sound like a good way to do steaks because that's the way i've been taught to get that bark and keep all that flavor inside as opposed to searing at the beginning talk to me about some people sear their steaks at the beginning and i think that that would lock out the flavor from getting down into the steak yeah and that's because you're when you're searing it it's getting some of that flavor in it anyway (laughs) and it's always when you cook a large piece of beef it is always sucking into the outside so what happens is when you cook it causes pressure in the meat so what happens is that's what forces all the juices to the center it's the pressure around so as it's doing that it's drawing stuff from the outside which could be part of that char flavor or the seasoning that you put on it it's still going to draw that in um so some people char in the beginning and then roast it like that there are two ways to do sous vide a lot of people char first to add a little flavor because when they sous vide and put it in the vacuum sealer it causes a little pressure on it and it forces some of that flavor in there so you can do that i'm more the reverse guy like you is i want the char on the outside at the end because i want like the especially when you're doing rub so a lot of people when they do prime they might just season it but not really like rub that you you're talking about you know what i mean so oh, yeah, i think 100%. when you do the rub I think it's better to do it the way you do it and have it get really get in there. But a lot of people just sear it because they want to keep all those juices in and stuff like that and they hit the thing. But you know, it's it's really a preference. It's kind of like chef school is, hey, do it the way that you like to do it. I don't think there's a wrong way or a right way to do it. So if I'm in Minnesota and I met you at a at a at the boat dock, we're both getting off the boat. We both caught some walleyes that day and we make friends like, hey, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm a I'm a chef over here at the Merritt, which we're going to get into the Merritt Lakeside and dining the, the entire Reeds family up in Walker, Minnesota. If anybody's never been there, you got to get there. Leech Lake, the Merritt. It's an amazing experience. Mr. Mark Lindsay's the executive chef at the Merritt and his food is, like I said, extraordinary. But if I said, hey, Mr. Mark, I love steaks. I'm from Montana. I'm a beef guy. And you got one chance to impress me. Not that you care. I'm just saying that I'm coming to your restaurant tonight and you go, all right, I got to impress this cowboy. He was a good dude. I want to make sure that my steak is going to be dead on. What do I, what, what can I expect that night in your steak? What is it? What cut is it? How are you flavoring it, seasoning it, rubbing it and and preparing it? Okay. I think we've done this already, but I'm going to tell you how. Um, The thing is, uh, I have a variety of things already in my building, which is great because I do a lot of different things during the season. So I carry a lot of Wagyu. I carry both American Wagyu and Japanese Wagyu. So I probably going to pick one of those and I'm going to slightly season it because I have my own four pepper blend, which is uh, because it's equal parts of the green, pink, smoked black and white, it's more flavorful than it is spicy in your face and then it has salt in it, and I'm gonna season it, and then I'm gonna vacuum seal it and sous vide it first. Then when it comes out, then I'm gonna char it, and then I'm gonna do a variety of sauces. I'll probably do either a wild mushroom demi or Bernays or some classic sauce like that on it um, to do it. The other thing we've been testing out, and, and I think you were the victim of one of the testings was the um, rib cap, the Japanese rib cap. Oh, it's amazing. Well, it's, so it's the, it's the part off the top of a ribeye that has been trimmed out and we bought that part. And then I got it um, from uh, uh, Prairie Harvest, which is a wild game place. And they, uh, I trimmed it up and put a, something called transglutamine on it, which is like a meat glue. 
that worked, eh, it worked okay. I probably should let it go another 12 hours or so. Anyway, tied it, and then we sous vide it whole like that, and then we seared it whole and then sliced it. But it really, uh, that piece of meat has just got so much flavor in it. But sometimes people get over, like they want to put five billion sauces on it. For Japanese Wagyu, I try not to put a lot of stuff with it because it in itself is a phenomenal steak. Why is there a large customer base that wants a sauce or a gravy or like, I understand Oscar and you get some crab and maybe some butter on the top of a steak. Some people get blue cheese crumbles, but is there a large section of the, of the demographic that wants some sort of sauce on a beef steak? Um, I have very few people who say no sauce. So almost all my specials come with some type of sauce and I try to rotate it around. Um, you know, I have quite a few books that I, if I get bored, I can't figure out one. I might look and say, oh, maybe I'll try this old sauce. But um, I like it because I think it always enhances it. And it doesn't have to be like drowning in sauce. I like a sauce that's on it, but not, you know, it's only a couple ounces of sauce on it just for that added flavor to it. But I think it really enhances the whole experience of it to have the sauce and also carries other ingredients like the mushrooms and stuff like that to have it on there. So I'm, I'm very pro sauce. <laughs> Almost all of our things that we do have some type of sauce on it. So oh. very few people say uh, no sauce or sauce on the side. I want to get into sauce. Um, do you look at people funny though, when they say anything but medium rare on beef? Because I think I take you as a guy that would probably kick me out of your dining establishment if I said, please bring me that well done. Um. <clears throat> My sous chef, more than me, my sous chef, if it's over medium well, or if it's medium well or well, she's like, oh my God, what are we doing? Um, you know, if you want to destroy your steak like that, I will do it. <laughs> but it takes a lot longer time. And it just, you know, it just dries that sucker out. It's hard for me to say it, but, you know, I'm trying to say the guest is always right when they, how they want their steak. They want to destroy that. But a lot of people do tell me to cook it how the chef would have it. And so when I get that, then it's between medium rare and medium is where it goes, depending on what it is, unless it's a wild game or something. It might be a little different. But, okay. No, yeah. no, no. Continue. I'm sorry. I thought you were done. No, no. That was it. That was, it's, you know, yes, we hate it because now that we get a great burger and we still get a lot of medium well burgers. But what internal temp should a burger be at? 150 degrees max? 155 degrees max or, or yeah. more than I, I go less than that, my burgers. I personally a medium rare burger guy. I know that's bad. Uh, and our burger is, is a little more unique than others. While we don't make them by hand, we get a great blend of it's Chuck uh, brisket and uh, what's the other one? Chuck brisket and uh, I'm having a, a mind dump right now, but it's three cuts of meat that the blend of the burger is. It's not just any piece they find and make it ground. So we have a, you know, we're pretty well known for our burger in town. Um, when you, I want to get into burgers, but first I, I want to stay with this, this sauce deal now. Yeah. Oh, wait, lean back a little bit. Is this like a Godfather theme culinary shirt? Let me see what you got on, oh. on the shirt. Can you, can you lean back a little bit? Can you stroll your chair back? Culinary gangster. gangster. Can I get one of these shirts, Mark? Can I get yeah. one? They're online. I want that. That is awesome. I'm I've got a couple. One. The other ones are like, like executive chef, 
you know, the guy who can cook what you can't uh, also see wizard or magician, you know, stuff like that. I've got a couple of uh, culinary shirts that are, are these, fantastic. Are these your designs or ones you just no, found online? Just ones I found online. I like it. Okay, so if I'm going to get, I would be really <clears throat> afraid. I'm cooking, I'm doing Wagyu tonight, okay? It's an American right. Wagyu from an Australian restaurant. I'd like to talk to you about this someday. I got some uh, a buddy that has a really good herd in Oklahoma. Um, I don't know if I'd put a sauce on it, but now I'm tempted to talk to me about a sauce. And I want to get into a steak topping sauce. And okay. then I want to get into an Italian sauce because my mom's Italian and I take a lot of pride in our Italian sauces or what they call gravies in different parts of Italy right. and different parts of Jersey and, and places. Um, what, how do I make the perfect steak sauce? Let's, let's, let's do a mushroom sauce. How do I start it? You mentioned earlier in our conversation, Mr. Mark Lindsay of the merit at Leech Lake in Minnesota that you transparency and onions aroma of garlic when you start a sauce talk to me about the perfect yeah. sauce and how that, i can get it that's more like that particular things are particular sauces like church chesters or something like that. so first you're going to start with a stock so probably the the most important part is what stock are you going to start with can now, i pick one um yeah there you know there are tons of bases and because of my shortness of time a lot of times we use like the best base I can get. But if you're gonna make it from scratch, then I would make a stock if you can. Um, I don't wanna to touch that thing that says pressure cooker, but if you were short of time. Cheater, yeah. I already caught, we already talked about this. Two and a half hours. But what I'm saying is normally if you're gonna make a brown stock, you're gonna brown the bones, you're gonna brown the mirepoix, and then you're gonna put some uh, spice in it, and then you're gonna you know, cook it for overnight at least to get the to true beef stock. So once you have that stock, then you're going to make whatever gravy you're going to want to make. And so you have, there are five mother sauces out there that every sauce is made from. You know, that was back the old school. So one of them is Espanol, which is brown sauce. So normally you would make a browned roux, okay? So butter and flour, but you cook it until it became brown and then you would add your stock to that, and that would make your brown Espanol sauce, okay? So that's what you started with. Now, if you wanted to make that into demi-gloss, you would take that brown sauce, half brown sauce, half brown stock, add them together and reduce it by half. That is the true demi-gloss, that's what it's called. Um, and we use a lot of demi-gloss, because it's a lighter sauce, it's not like a heavy gravy. It's more a uh, lighter, lighter touch. So can you teach um, me the demi-gloss for tonight? Uh, do you have a stock? You can yeah, use I have, a, st I have okay. a stock. Right, all you're doing is doing the roux. So uh, do you, have you made a roux before? Let's yes, start sir, but, okay. but I've only made, I've learned it from the Cajun country, so I've made a gumbo roux before, and that's kind of my style of a roux. Is that what we're talking about? Define what you mean a gumbo roux. You mean you're making it after you saute the vegetables and you're making it in there? Or are you making yeah. the roux separate? No, I'm doing the roux separate. The, the beginning of every gumbo that I've ever learned was the roux. Right. So the flour and the butter, that's all you're doing, right? Yep. yep. That's it. So normally when I make a roux, I don't measure. I put, if I'm going to thicken a gallon of stock, I'm going to start with a pound of butter. 
Okay, I'm gonna melt that butter and then I'm gonna add my flour until it gets that thick peanut butter consistency, okay? So then you're gonna stir your roux until you start to smell like hazelnuts. So it's gonna start getting a nutty aroma, okay? So once it gets the nutty aroma, that's when you can add your stock. So if you want it browner, you're gonna to have to cook that longer. So if you're, if you're doing a lighter sauce, as soon as it gets that, that time, it's gonna take like 10 minutes. As soon as you get there, you can add whatever stock you want if you're making chicken or veal or whatever. But if you're making brown sauce, then you want to brown that roux more because otherwise your sauce is gonna be light in color. Now, there's a, a way to fix that. Some people use a onion brulee, which is a burnt onion. And then they add that into it and just use that for color, helping like caramelize color. And then you take that onion out or you use something called kitchen bouquet, which is the cheater's version of making your sauce darker. Making your, it's, but that's a cheating version. Right, yeah. Because normally you would brown your bones and make a really dark brown stock and then you'd brown your roux and that's how old school makes their sauce brown. All those steps. This sounds easy, but I don't think it is. Nope. It's I've, I've really been struggling with broth for Vietnamese soup that has become so popular lately. I don't know. Maybe it's been popular forever, but right. it, as I travel the country, like I do so much, pho has become so famous, just like sushi's had its like this huge uprising right. in our country. Now pho is, and I get the beef tendon and I get rare steak and I, I get a tiny, tiny bit of the rice noodle, but I get extra vegetable. I want extra green onion. But then I go and I try to make this pho broth and I absolutely destroy it like it's nowhere near like what i'm used to getting from an authentic like one of my guys places down the road um it sauces and broths are are a lot tougher than people think to make to make legitimate right and to really get great flavor you want to start with so no, normally i would let's say i ended up with four gallons of stock i would reduce it till it was about a gallon because that you want to intensify the flavor. It's like dry aging a steak. You're trying to get the moisture out of it to keep in the flavor. And so that's the goal. So there's something called um, glace de veau, which is you take five gallons of veal stock and you reduce it down to a quart. And that's glace de veau. So that is a uh, uh, thicky, uh, tacky, like when you put it on there, it's like almost like a glaze but super flavorful, but no flour. That way it's gluten-free. So there's a lot of glasses you can get out there. Um, you can do a glass of Vian, which is the beef, beef one. So you're reducing that stock. The more you reduce it, the stronger that flavor is gonna get for you, then you can make your sauce from that. I like that idea. Now you're not getting in a rush because most people that would have that much liquid would, would not, I mean, myself speaking, I'll just speak for myself. I would not think of reducing it down that much, but now you're just packing four gallons of flavor into one gallon. That's correct. And that's like how they this. get them so rich is, is that reduction of that. Like you don't have to, I mean, even if you reduced it by half, that would still intensify that flavor. Do you think that, or do you know <laughs> on the pho, or are they reducing a pho broth down that much to get intensifying that flavor too? I would think they would almost have to. Are they? Is it? Are they making it beef or chicken? 
they do they offer both at most places yeah because chicken you chicken is easier just because of the fat and the the bones you have to cook them a lot less in order to get the stock from it than you do beef hence that's why some people cheat and use the pressure cooker for the beef because i can get it in a couple hours really pressurize all that stuff out of it that's what you're trying to trying to extract all of it do you start with cold water or hot water cold water okay you're you're correct there because you want as it heats up it draws the stuff out if you were doing hot water you put your stuff in there then it would start to cook on the outside before it drew the stuff out of it so that's what right. you're trying to do draw the stuff out draw it out yeah but it's but it's reduction so a lot of people you know strain their soup or they cook it down even with all the ingredients in it start with whatever you got and then just keep cooking it till it reduces then strain it and you'll get you know that's the same as just straining it and reducing it but you're you're cooking it down with all those great flavors in there then strain it so never start with the, the five gallons that you put like if you like normally i make stock i'm doing five gallons or more when i start with it once i get there i've reduced it you know i've let it go down at least a gallon or two before i even strain it because i want all that all that flavor in there when you're I'm, I'm trying to picture your day like at trapper's landing in the merit um are you constantly doing what you're describing right now to where you're in your kitchen like a freaking mad scientist like you look like einstein or the or the professor nope. in the uh back to the future movies with your hairs all messed up or are you just relaxed cool calm do you have are you cocky mark when it comes to being able to put out this kind of food like yeah this is or do you get an ego when you get this good or are you constantly uh you know humble and just working your ass off to develop new techniques and, and great flavors when when i was young i was cocky okay so what happened was i was a chef for about 20 years then i went to the front of the house which they call the dark side in the culinary world where i became the food and beverage director and the chefs worked for me so i did that for about another 20 years of being in the front being more politically correct and can't be going off the handle like some old chefs and then i went back when i came back to america i went back in the back of the kitchen so it's more I, I know that I can cook, but I don't have to go out there. People don't have to call me chef. They don't have to call, you know, they don't have to, you know, they can do whatever. I still know that the food that we put out is better than you can get in town. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm all about. Like people coming to the restaurant, like when you guys came, I love it when they say, hey, whatever you got put out for us. And that's the cool thing. A lot of people say, hey, do you have something special that you can do for us? And that's really great. I know that the food we do, we get, really good ingredients we don't just get like so we get heirloom tomatoes we get a lot of wild game i get uh our menu i steak is a piece of wagyu so it's a zabaton which is a a, a cut of uh wagyu um so i know those ingredients are good there's not 50 items on every ingredient but we do like you know and a lot of it's easy our ribs you know that we have a great rub that i've developed and then it gets sous vide for 24 hours, and then we have our own barbecue sauce. You go anywhere in town, you can't get that rib like that. It comes off the bone, but it doesn't fall off the bone. And that's perfect, you know, if you're eating a lot of barbecue, that's the goal of for them to bite it off the bone, not just, I got the bone and all of it fell off. 
Which is a big misconception in America's backyards of daddy saying, oh, that rib's falling off the bone. You don't want it to. You want to see the teeth marks in there. You want to have a good bite. Yeah. It's just like it's just like brisket. You don't want brisket that limps over your finger and, and breaks in half because it's too dried out. You want that perfect texture and that perfect form of yeah. a rib. And, and um, even though... I've tasted some ribs that fall off the bone and they got a pretty good taste. The experience right. of a of a, a perfectly executed rib is so much better than a rib that just falls right. off the bone, right? It, it, I'm more about that at the restaurant of of doing it right, cooking it right, and have people like people actually come to our restaurant for the brisket. Now, I me, mean, it's like you know, it's a brisket sandwich, but it's because it's consistent every time. It's it's always super tasty. Um, and so they people have brought their friends back to have just the brisket. And that's that's when I like, wow, I really like that. That's you know, that, that's what I live for. So we, get back to your answer of your thing. I'm not cocky and I don't. Uh, we have made the menu for very few cooks. So it's myself and a sous chef. And now we have one more cook. So it's just the three of us producing all the things we do. So some things I get pre cut or pre-diced or stuff like that, but almost everything we make from scratch. I rarely make a stock because the only soup we carry right now is walleye chowder. And I have a really nice, uh, a lot of times I get the the Demi, uh, the Glace de Veau that we talked about earlier, pre-made for me. I can buy that in a tub to make uh, the stocks and so, or the sauces and stuff like that um, because I just don't have time to make a stock and all that kind of stuff, nor are we set up to do that. But I enjoy cooking. I don't have to be cocky anymore. I love it. I love it. You keep bringing up different rabbit holes that I don't want to jump into because I want to keep on what I want to talk about. But now you bring up another one, but I want, I'm going to keep that. Here's how the, here's how we're going to uh, design this little road with Mr. Mark Lindsay, the executive chef trained at the culinary Institute of America works at Trapper's landing up in Walker, Minnesota on Leech Lake at the merit restaurant. His food is amazing. Um, but I want to get into some duck. I want to get into some goose. I want to get into rendering and fat and skin and crispy skin. And, and, and what our listeners today on the Fat Life Podcast brought to you again by the provider, the provider life. Um, I want to talk about wild game and how, you know, our cookbook was trying to transcend into living off the land, knowing where your food comes from, which I I've had discussions with Mr. Mark about that. I'm very interested in where my food comes from. I want to know what I'm getting when I order food at a restaurant like the Merritt at Trapper's Landing, but we, we, a little bit, we're going to go a burger and now we're going to go a little bit into, or after the burger, we're going to talk about your walleye and skin on with this. I'm talking ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking the breading, the flakiness of this fish, the flavor of it, the experience of eating Mark's walleye was better than any Minnesota fish fry I've been to or a Wisconsin fish fry. I've had great fish, but this fish for a fish fry and and walleye caught right there on leech, like we caught these fish with our master guide, Andrew. Um, I want to get into that. And then we're going to get into some of the wild game right here on the Foul Life podcast. But burger, let's talk about the perfect Burger, you mentioned medium rare, which you said, well, that's probably bad because of what can happen with eating ground because of the fat content and, and mixing your, your pork fat or whatever fat you use with your ground beef. Um, we do a lot of this in the wild game world with grinding of snow geese and Canada geese and different parts of the elk right. or the deer, whatever. 
let's talk about the perfect burger, Mark. First off, I just want a simple answer of, are you a condiment guy? Do you have to fill it with the relish and the mustard and the mayo and the ketchup and the lettuce and the tomato and the bacon and the avocado? I like a bun, a tiny, tiny dab of cheese with a really good... Uh, I'm talking just an unbelievable patty of a high-end Wagyu or what we have at American Almond Beef. Are you a simple burger guy or do you need it to be a mile stacked a mile high with onion rings and all that on it? No, I'm well seasoned. But what I do like is because we have heirloom tomatoes, I love a good tomato on it. So mine is sometime cheese, some not. Seasoned a burger with a, a pepper blend and a little salt. And then when I sear it, Goes on a bun, sometimes Swiss cheese, sometimes not, but it gets uh, heirloom tomato and maybe just a little ketchup. And that's really what I have. But our burger's got such great flavor that I'm more about that part of it. Why, did our, the, bur- why did our burger world take this road, Mr. Mark, of, of putting, putting way too much on? I mean, I like the experience and the juiciness and the flavor of the beef, when I start to see the avocado and the bacon and the onion rings, and that's not a burger. That's just like a, that, I mean, you might as it's well, you're not getting the beef. It's a sandwich, right? Right. It's a culinary sandwich. So yeah, we, I mean, we, we, and we have one of those burgers. Okay. Our wild game burger has got a whole bunch of stuff on it, but that's what the people are looking for. We sell so many of them. It's not funny. Um, so it's, it's, you know, uh, I think our number one burger is probably a bacon cheeseburger. It's probably what we sell the most of. Now, we use a great bacon. We use a Nooski bacon, which is from Wisconsin, which if you haven't had it, it's a really nice smoked bacon. Um, we do have duck bacon available too, make out of duck breast. Um, mm. So you got those options. But I think just the plain LTO on it, you know, a lot of tomato onion, uh, especially with the heirloom tomato, really makes a great burger. But our wild burger is uh it's an elk venison patty and it's a bison patty two each one is four ounces then we have cheddar cheese on it smoked gouda on it then we have bacon duck bacon heirloom tomatoes lettuce and uh lingonberry aioli so it's a pretty big burger but we sell a lot of them because people want something wild game can't get it anywhere in town so wild game, meaning farm raised to be USDA certified and approved through a restaurant. But what kind of wild game are we talking about? Are we talking venison? Are we talking fowl? What kind of meat is in the wild game burger? No, it's a, well, it's two patties. One is a bison, so farm raised game. Um, but the other one is a elk uh, venison blend that we get ground. And so we get that. I get almost all my stuff from Prairie Harvest, which is my wild game outlet for us i get a ton of like all my elk my haluka pork which is a humanely raised pork which has a higher fat content really tasty pork um i get duck from them i get uh, uh wild boar all sorts of different stuff from them haluka haluka pork is that the spanish pork that's like the wagyu pork or what is that no, one? that's iberian okay, um, that's okay haluka pork is a uh, farm ra- or humanely raised and so uh, there's also one in Minnesota, Waker, Waker Acres, has the same uh, kind of pork, but they're more humanely raised instead of tight pens. They're more loosely. It's the same way they raise Wagyu in more humanely uh, atmosphere. Um, and that's what makes the fat content that much better. 
like Japanese Wagyu, there's only two steer per pen and only one, they only see one person almost their whole life. And so the pigs are a lot more raised in the, in the outdoors, raised humanely. And I'm, I'm not high or not knowledgeable on all the details of how they're raised humanely, but I know that when I get it, the pork is just phenomenal. Just a much better flavor, um, uh, better marbling, uh, great taste. And so we use a lot of different parts. I have a pork tomahawk that we use quite a bit. Look at pork tomahawk, it's big. Um, and it's just got huge flavor and it's super popular when I bring it in. So when we get back to our burger, do we yeah. butter our bun and toast it, Mr. Mark Lindsay, or are, is our bun cold? What's the perfect no, presentation for a burger We toast our buns bun? with butter. We toast our buns with butter on the grill. Um, so it gets that. Um, and it, all of them get seasoned with uh, uh, my four pepper blend and salt. Um, uh, what else? Um, yeah. And so and it, right now we're doing them on, we have a flat top, not a broiler. So we do it on our flat top. We, do, we did just get a new little broiler, but we're still doing them on the flat top just because broiler would cause too much smoke. Um, thing about it's nice is it really sears the outside of them. So they're a little more juicy inside than a broiler sometimes dries them out a little bit, if, especially if you cook them over. I've been doing a burger where I roll about a little over a quarter pound meatball with my dry rub in there called the crosshairs. And we do have a new beef rub that we're getting ready to introduce to the market, but meatball style on the top shelf of a Traeger smoking again. And I'm talking maybe a, a 10 minute smoke to where the meat starts to get a little bit of the crystallization or the brown on it. Right. Then I got my induction going over here with a tiny bit of olive oil with a meat press. I got a <laughs> circular meat press for a burger yeah. patty and I'm smashed burger style in this. And the bark, the, the crust, the flavor on the inside, the juiciness. This is why I don't use anything but maybe a dab of ketchup, sometimes cheese. And yeah. I got a really, and I like a high-end bun. You know, I'm yeah. not going to try to go lettuce wrap on this style burger. I understand the health phase. But if I'm going to eat a burger, I'm going to eat a burger. That's straight up the, the truth. Right. I'm going to have a great bun. I'm going to butter it a tiny bit. I'm going to get a little bit of, of a, a crust and a, a, you know, good texture on that bun. And just the experience of a good burger is like, it's America, right? That's, I mean, that yeah. is so awesome. Yeah, I, I love a good, I, I, you know, I'm a big meat eater. So I love a good piece of meat, whether it's a burger or a steak. I'm all about the burger. Um, a lot of times I will just eat mine, like when I'm in a hurry, my sous chef will just cook it for me on the grill and just put it on a plate for me. And that's all I'm having. Just that little salt and I'm done. Um, have you, I know you're not a big condiment guy. Have you tried some of your rubs in uh, mixed in mayo on your burger? Yes. So we, we tried a couple the other day, uh, aioli out of it. It was pretty tasty. So I also made a great chip dip. With the rubs? In sour cream, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've been doing that with the, the, the sour cream with the, with the crosshairs. It's got some of that dill flavor in it. The Sonora is a great tortilla chip dip. If you yeah. make like a salsa, I mean, the Sonora is a great Mexican kind of flavor. The Dragon, it, it gives some really good flavors for some different dips. But yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, no, we, we, we've been playing with it. I've been giving uh, little sections out to people. So, hey, go try this. You know, Josh is our uh, general manager. Um, he's got lined up to get a bunch of them because he does a lot of hunting and fishing and stuff like that. So he's going to try some of them too. So, um, but it's, yeah, a, it's about a good burger. You know, we sell a ton of burgers. 
just a ton, just because it's it's a great blend. It's not just ground beef. So, uh, yeah. I love a good burger. I'm right there with you. I, when I had your walleye, I said, what is different about this walleye as the one that we had the night before? And it was the skin on fried method that you do. I've never had that. Yeah. It's amazing. The thing that people don't, you know, it, it's the same with the chicken breast. When they started taking the skin off the chicken breast, people are like, oh, it's not healthy to have the skin on. And they're taking the skin off because I don't like the look or whatever it was. So when they deep fry it, it dries both sides. You know what I mean? So there's the moisture is coming out of the fish, no matter how you do it. Where the skin on, it has a tendency to push that towards the skin, but the skin doesn't let all that moisture leave. And it adds that little crispy skin flavor to it also. And I saw, I I did it to a really big group one time and not one person said, ooh, the skin's on it. They were all asking me, how come it was so good? And that was the difference of that one little thing that added great flavor to it. Is your breading a secret? Uh, no, it's it's something called Chef Rob's. And so it's it's just a type of breading that we get, and it's it's super plain, Jane. But again, we try to be more natural about the fish. And you taste it. It's all about, you know, it's not masked by anything. Yes, we serve it with tartar sauce because people want that. But it's, for me, I just like a little lemon juice on mine. And I, I love that walleye just because it's got, it's so juicy and tasty. I love it too. When next time I do it, I'm doing it with skin on 100%. Walleye is what I tell people is my favorite North American freshwater fish. I love perch. I love crappie. I love brim or bluegill in the South. But for some reason, a cold weather wall, cold weather wall, cold water walleye in Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota. um, I don't know if you can beat it. I know that halibut in the ocean, a saltwater fish, is 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 the the best in my opinion for flaky white fish. But a wall a walleye is absolutely amazing. I love sturgeon, but sturgeon is few and far between to find and to eat um, and even to catch. But man, walleye is tough to beat, right? Yeah. And we go, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've two cases a day, or in a case and a half to two cases a day, that's 66. So that's 30 some orders a day of walleye. With all the other stuff we have on the menu, it's probably number one, number two, uh, the brisket, it goes back and forth between the brisket sandwich and the walleye, whether which one's number one, no matter now, what we you, put on the menu. Let's talk about Trapper's Landing and the Merit before we get into some wild game. Leech Lake, Minnesota, the Reeds, the organization at Reeds, the Sporting Goods Store, it was an absolute blast up there. The family's amazing. And what they've done with their with their store and the adrenaline and the energy and the culture up there, yeah. pretty amazing sight to see. Thank you, Benelli. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, everybody, for bringing us up there. But we got to go and stay at Trapper's Landing, the resort owned by the same family that owns Reed's, and they have the Merit. They have the Merit Restaurant where Mr. Mark Lindsay is the executive chef at, and they are turning out some amazing dishes. Um, What happens after the summer? We get the ice on the lake. We get ice fishing going on. Do you still have the tourism in the area? Is there? Do you stay open year-round at Trapper's Landing and the Merit? Are you busy year-round? As much as possible. There's a couple small weeks where we close for a couple weeks. Um, we're closed for Christmas. Thank you very much. Um, and then in April, we close. So what happens now is we wind down a little bit, but we have a walleye tournament coming up. We have um, a couple groups that are year round or come back every year that are doing it. We have our food and wine event that's in the end of October. So for the first couple, next couple of weeks, like uh, I think eight weeks, we stay pretty steady. We're starting brunch on Sunday, 
Um, and so we'll do brunch throughout the winter. Um, that's uh, uh, new for us last year. And so that's uh, has a pretty good following as far as, you know, people, some regulars that come in that like our brunch. Um, and so that works out good. So, you know, we're a much smaller crew, but we try to stay open as much as possible, especially once the fish are, once the lake's frozen and we have our ice shacks out there and, you know, there's two to 300 calories a day going out there on the ice. And so we get a lot of those people at the end of the night coming in for uh, food and cocktails and whatnot. So, you know, it's pretty much year round. There's going to be some soft time in November and soft time in uh, April. Like we close for sure for a couple of weeks in April, right before May. And then May goes crazy. I'm thinking of the pictures that Mark and some of the guys, uh, not, not Mark, um, uh, some of the fellas that were showing me in that, in, during that event of the cold water duck hunts up there of the diver hunts, the puddle duck hunts, the Canada goose hunts, right. the, the area is enriched in a ton of waterfowl hunting, yep. big game hunting, bear hunting. There's a lot going on in Minnesota when it comes to living the outdoor lifestyle, the land of 10,000 lakes. Um, you got the Mackinac, uh, Lake trout up there. You also have the, the, the fish of 10,000 cast. Do you know what I'm talking to? Do you know what I'm referring to, Mr. Mark Lindsay? No, I don't think so. Educate me. On the 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 fish of 10,000 casts, you have to guess. Come on. Oh, 10,000 casts? Yeah. What is it, the mo- monster lake trout or the muskie? Yeah, the big muskie. Um, the figure- a, I, I know Josh, when he sets waypoints, if you want to go muskie hunting... He he sets the waypoints of where they're at if you take one of our boats out. Um, they they call it the fish of 10,000 casts. They say it's almost impossible. I was up there one time with Federal Premium Ammunition. We caught one on our, our, our second cast, had it at the boat. We were doing the figure eight, and we did not land it. The sucker got off. But the muskie is, is a big-time destination fish of Minnesota. But the, the, the outdoor lifestyle of Minnesota is absolutely amazing. That whole area. I mean, Wisconsin yeah. blew me away with 660,000. Think about that. 660,000 deer hunters out on opening day rifle last year in Wisconsin. But let's 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 go into some the unorthodox thinking that goes into being a chef is what I love. I really with that cookbook you have behind you, the provider, Chad Mendez, my brothers, Clinton Clay, our entire family. We really wanted to transcend like what you can do with wild game because it gets a bad rap a lot. From a lot of people, like, I ain't eating duck, it tastes like liver. I ain't eating venison. It's And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. You can do anything you can do with Wagyu. You can do with venison if you really take care of your meat from the field, yeah. from the butchering part of it, to the processing part of it, to, the, to, to, the, to, to actually executing the recipe. If you're unorthodox and you think outside of the box, like I know you do, Mr. Mark Lindsay, right. you can do amazing things with wild game. Let's specifically talk about um duck for a second i've had some unbelievable duck in french restaurants i've had it in steakhouses i've had it as appetizers i've had it as entrees i've had it skin on which is the best way to do it i've had it skin off in a lot of different gumbos and and sauces and things like that yes or no mr mark Lindsay? can duck and fowl both domesticated and farm raised and wild because i know you hang with people up there that bring you wild ducks just like they bring you wild walleye to cook is fowl ducks and geese awesome to eat i love it 
So I, I, I'm a huge, I get, don't get a ton of geese just because I don't get the ton of geese. I get a lot of duck and we bring a lot of duck in for stuff. I'm, I'm really about like the legs and thighs. I love duck confit. So we, I do a lot of stuff with duck confit. Actually, last year we had uh, duck poutine on the menu. So it was duck with French fries, cheese curds, tomatoes, and gravy on top. Oh my God, they were, we sold a lot of them. Wait a minute, say that again. You have, you're actually mixing French fries with cheese curds, with tomatoes, and then you put gravy on it. So it's, we're not talking health and fitness right now. We're talking like mixing some high energy food here to stay warm in the winter, right? Yep. Oh my God. And with the duck, with the duck confit on it. Oh my God. It was killer. Okay. So um, that, tell me how that duck confit matches with what you just named. How is that meat prepared to go on that dish? Um, generally what I do is I will order, uh, uh, just the duck legs with the skin on. I'll season them really well. They all go in a sous vide bag, usually six per bag. And then I put a little oil in there, a little seasoning, uh, or I didn't have seasoning on them. Um, Sometimes a little thyme and rosemary in the bag. I vacuum seal it. Then they go in the tank for 24 hours at 155. And so uh, when they come out, um, it's best to do it when it's warm is you pull the skin off and then the meat will just fall off. And it's got all that. Oh, wait, also in the bag is duck fat. So I get pre-rendered duck fat because I don't have the, all the skin and stuff I got. So that goes in the bag also. So what it means to tuck confit is to cook in its own fat. And so that's really what you're doing is cooking in that duck fat. And then when you're pulling it out, it's got all that flavor from the duck fat all in that meat. And it's just, oh. my God, it's, it's, I just love duck confit, okay? So then um, a lot of times we'll get the duck breasts. And so generally I season those and put them in a bag and we'll sous vide a medium rare, takes about maybe an hour and a half, and then we'll pull them. So then we get an order, we warm them a little bit and then sear them on the grill so they're nice and brown and they'll cut medium rare. So a lot of times I'll serve the duck confit with the duck breast on top. And then we might make a little orange sauce or, or some kind of sauce that we might drizzle over it. Really what I like is um, a gastrique, which is uh, kind of a sweet and sour fruit sauce. So I do it with a pureed uh, like blackberries, pureed. And then I put uh, some sugar and some balsamic glaze all together. And that's what I use as the seasoning on it. So it's got that berry plus that balsamic flavor to it. It's awesome. God dang, that sounds good. It's, it's so simple. I mean, when you, especially if you have a CV tank, but you know, to do it, the duck confit, it used to be you put it in a pot and you cook it on the stove and you got to like watch it all the time and waiting for it to, you know, the, to be the right doneness where this is, in a bag, in a tank, forget it until the next day, and then take it apart. When you, when you, when the duck meat is falling off the bone, you still have to have good texture and right. good and good consistency of the meat. So yep. you're controlling that. What is the right temperature to eat duck at? To eat duck at? Yeah. What is the right, what is the right temperature to serve and eat duck? You, like you mean the breast, right? Yeah, like I know confit is going to be different, but right. what is that? What is that confit at? Because most people would say, if if duck's anything over medium rare, I'm not eating it. If it's not raspberry on the inside and a little bit of blood, I'm not right. eating it. Right? But, but that's the breast, not the leg and thigh. Until the leg and thigh, you're slow cooking in a in a sous vide manner to where it's falling off the bone. It's done. Yeah. So it's like a pulled pork effect. Exactly. And so it's done, but it still has. It's not like shredded 
You know what I mean? It still comes in chunks. Now you could shred it, but we don't. We just pull it off in large chunks as we get it. And then um, when it, we get an order for it, like we're making the poutine, we just throw it on the grill for a few minutes, get it hot, and then put it on the thing. So you're right, the, the duck breasts, we're doing uh, 135 in the tank. And so that's medium rare. And so uh, it's an hour or so in the tank the first time. So and, and so when it comes out, then it's ready to go. Then all you have to do is we usually drop it a couple minutes just in the tank to bring it, start to bring it back. And then we throw it on the grill to crisp it all up. So it still has the, the fat on it or the um, skin on it, but it's grilled on both sides. And then we slice it and it's perfect medium rare all the way across. Oh, with a crispy and, skin. Yeah. And the thing about the game is I feel a lot of it gets bad reps because people just don't cook it right. It's not that it's so uh, the flavor is so bad or anything. It's it's how you handle it, like you were saying about from the field to start with. But when they cook it, that's why I love sous vide is because you can really control what temperature is it cooked at and for how long. And it can be done over and over and over. And then you finish it, you know, you're going to sear it or do whatever you want to it at the end, but you've got it cooked consistently. Or if it's something like bear where you want it to be really done, you know, I really like stewed bear in the CV tank, a lot of seasoning and stuff, boom, in the, in the tank for 24 to 48, depending on which piece it is. And it comes out so tender, but got great flavor. You keep saying sous vide. You're a fan of sous vide. I you're, a, you're a fan. What is sous vide? Like a French bath? Like what is sous vide? It actually technically means under pressure. So the first step is whatever you're cooking <laughs> goes in a bag and gets vacuum sealed. So the couple advantages of vacuum sealing is whatever you put in that bag, when you vacuum sealing it, the, the molecules open up in the item and it really forces that marinade, whatever's in there, in there farther. So you could marinate something in 10, 15 minutes just sous viding it, leave it in there a few, few minutes, and you pull it out, it's already marinated. It's not like I got to leave it 48 hours to marinate in the first place. But then when you're cooking it sous vide, you are controlling what temperature you want it to be. So if I want it to be medium rare, I'm going to cook it at 135, and depends on what it is, how long at 135. So, uh, or how long at 155, like our brisket, we cook it at 155. The difference is, if you made brisket, Say you made it uh, in the smoker. What are you going to bring it to? 200 degrees? 202, 205, and yeah. then bring it, back, bring it back down to 145. Right. And so when you do that, a lot of times it may be shredding or not shredding. If I forgot it and it went over to 245, or if I did it, braised it in the oven, it's going to fall apart when I take it. When I pull it out at 155 after two days and I let it set, and then I go to slice it, it's going to be, I can slice it almost paper thin if I wanted to for sandwiches, and it'll hold together. That's the difference at cooking it at the lower temperature, but for longer. It's more, it's not falling apart shredded. And that's what I like about the sous vide. And it's consistent. Every time, it's the same. If you forgot it for an hour in the tank, it's not going to be any different. It's not like you forgot an hour in the stove, and now you've ruined it. It's the same after that hour. And then you still reverse sear effect it to get the grill mark and the crust and the bark on it to serve. Depending on what it is, right, yeah. Depending on what it is. Can you do Can you do all sorts? I'm thinking out loud here of like what you could 
vacuum seal and use the sous vide for. Um, I love to use the sous vide in conjunction with the Traeger grill. I get great results, great flavor yeah. out of it. And I use it on tons of different wild game, a lot of different wild game, um, a lot of red meats, but I use it a lot on a lot of upland birds, a pheasant. I've done sous vide pheasants. I've done yeah. chuckers. I've done all sorts of, of and get great results with upland birds as well. Hunting your own food, fishing your own food, ranching and farming your own food, gardens, crops, vegetables, catching fish, harvesting your game. It's amazing lifestyle to me. And that's what I got out of the merit and being at Trapper's Landing is like, man, I really know where, you know, talking with Mr. Mark Lindsay and talking to you today, I'd like to know exactly where my food comes from. And that's what the provider mentality was brought forth for is like, we are put on earth to work and we're put on earth to provide for our families. You can have a family and you can have a heart full of love, but if you don't understand how to provide for them or cook for them and put food on the table, you're missing a big part of it. So I really like the idea of what you're, you're the culinary gangster. I, I, I term this coin, this, this term, I coined this term, the backyard aficionado. I like when people leave my backyard going, man, that was some good eats. That was good. That wasn't yeah. just a regular burger that he took off a big sleeve of 10 of them and put them on there and, and had a, you know, and had a, just a regular run of the meal burger. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, Mr. Mark, but what you taught me was like, man, when that food comes out, and that first bite is taken, you want people to be like, I'm coming back here. I'll come back there yep. for that rib cap. I'm coming back there for that walleye with the skin on. I yeah. want some of this duck. I'm picturing this chili cheese fry looking dish that you're explaining to me on this duck confit. Poutine I want some of this. I want this poutine. Poutine is a Canadian, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but poutine Canadian is a Canadian dish. thing for putting brown gravy <laughs> on French fries, right? That's exactly right. Normally it always has like some cheese curd, stuff like that in it. We put it, uh, diced tomato on top and some onion, but it was super popular. Um, we also did have a canvas back pizza that we used the duck confit on also. Canvas back pizza. That's what we called it. So we got, we used duck confit as one of the meats on the pizza. It was pretty tasty. Well, what, what else was on this pizza? Um, now you're going to make me remember way back. You don't have to, last, but I want to try this. Last year's pizza. Uh, um, what did we have on that? I'm trying to think of, uh, I'll come up with it in a few minutes. Uh, well, have, I, 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 what I, what I would like to do, Mr. Mark, is I know I appreciate you being on the show, the foul life podcast. I want to do a foul life podcast, maybe recipe of the week with you where we get on here. We don't Great. have to show it, but maybe we do. If you have some sitting there, we don't have to, we don't, uh, we're not going to have a camera crew on both sides going through the kitchen, but we are going to film together in the future. We're going to be back in the area. We're going to have you at some duck camps this season. I'm hoping awesome. to throw down on some recipes, but what I'd really like to do is have a, 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 a chef, Mark Lindsay episode a week of, and it, it might be 10 minutes. It might be 15, but we're going to talk about a recipe that you thought up that you're serving at the merit that day. Um, you might have a, a, a sample of it to where you're actually showing me. Why don't we do that for next week? We get on and you have that. I don't know if you have access to some duck poutine. Would you? Oh yeah. I got the comfy already made. Can we, can we do this dish and actually see it visually? Um, next week and then my goal obviously would be to get in the same room and have me taste this because i know it's going to be amazing but let's start let's kick this off with the the chef mark Lindsay recipe of the week to where we get on maybe for 10 minutes and we have the, these podcast episodes i think it'll be stellar awesome yeah because we can do it at the resort i'm only doing it here today because i got a better signal and and uh we're, we're close to it well we're we're off today um 
it's a it's a nice recovery day after this weekend where we got killed. But um, yeah, and the thing is, uh, myself and my sous chef, we try to create stuff new. We like if I see something, like all of a sudden I'll see something in my prairie harvest guide of, wow, I didn't know they made that. Like for instance, they have a rattlesnake rabbit sausage, which I gotta try. But I mean, that's when all of a sudden my brain is going, wow, what can I do with those different things? And so that's where a lot of our specials come in of, uh, I saw this, what, what can I do with this? We ran Wagyu and Black Angus tongue, one of each, and we sous vide them and sliced them. And everybody was nervous, are we gonna sell it? We sold it in two days, normally I'd run a special four days. Two days we were out, 24 orders. But just because it was, it was so full of flavor and so tasty, it was just amazing. Well, that, yeah, wagyu that, was, that you made us wagyu tongue French dips when we were there. Yeah, that was it. That was that, the one. That was freaking like that should be outlawed. Like I would have eaten a hundred of them that night. Right, and it's people like, oh, it's tongue. It's not going to be good. Okay, the beef tongue has just got so much flavor in it, and that's the killer. Um, I'm trying to got to do elk tongue. I didn't think of that one. Wow. Oh, that'd be amazing. But yeah, there are a lot of things that we could do of of that. Um, someday we can even talk about do we pair wine with it or something, but. Uh, at maybe down the road. Pair uh, wine. We could pair some vino. We're going to do some episodes of pairing Jack Daniels whiskeys with some red meats and some wild games. I love Jack Daniels. Cool. Our our partner in 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 life is Jack Daniels. With a lot of our cooking and our recipes and our barbecuing, you, I'm I'm you actually going to be. My sauce is made with Jack Daniels. You knew that, right? We yes, I, you told me that, but the I want to get sauce. into that sauce. I want to talk right. about your barbecue sauce, cool. and I want to I want to talk about. Um, we're going to be with Jack Daniels at the Jack the one of the top three most coveted barbecue championships in the world. All the top grill masters will be there, including my main man, Tuffy Stone. I'm going to be in Lynchburg, Tennessee in the middle of October for the Jack, the world championships again, Mr. Mark Lindsay. I appreciate you being on here, but I'm going to get back with you on a, on a weekly series of the Mark chef, Mark Lindsay recipe. Let's make our first one next week. This, this duck okay. poutine. I cannot wait to see the finished product on here. Okay. Um, you could text me some pictures of it so I can use it to market some of this stuff. Yep. And then when we come out with the provider cookbook part two, obviously I'm going to be leaning on you for some of these recipes. Thank you, my man, for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Heck yeah. It is Trapper's Landing. It's the Merritt. It's Leech Lake. It's Minnesota, United States of America. Reed Sporting Good. Check out all of what they do for kids, getting people involved in the outdoors. I could not believe the energy and the culture inside the store, underneath the tents, what we are able to do with Team Traeger there, Team Jargon Provider. They rolled out the red carpet. Mr. Lee, everybody at Benelli USA, unbelievable the amount of just passion in the outdoors inside the walls of Reeds and to see the Benelli's going out the door, the Super Black Eagle 3 and 12-gauge, 20-gauge, 28-gauge now, the M2s, the M4s, the, the Monte Feltros, all of the Ethos, the 828s, the 828 Sports, everything was selling. Reeds, thank you so much. Trapper's Landing, thank you. The Merit, Mr. Mark Lindsay, the executive chef, the culinary gangster. He's going to make you a dish that you can't refuse, okay? this We're going to go into some some Francis Ford Coppola. I love his wine. I love his family. I love his property. They let his turkey hunt on it. The All of our Particelli family members at Napa Valley Olive Oil. I'm going to send some Napa Valley Olive Oil to you, Mr. Mark Lindsay. All Thank right. you for being on the show. Thank you all for listening. Thank we'll you. be back next week with another episode with Chef Mark Lindsay with his recipe of the week for straight from the merit at Trapper's Landing in Minnesota. Until then, we're going to leave you with this song right here. 
here, My Foul Life by 2 a.m. Long. Feels my every move. I gotta be here and.